Welcome to the podcast edition of the University of Queensland's Global Leadership Series webinar, Creativity in the Time of COVID-19. This webinar was recorded on the 18th of June, 2020. Our host of this conversation is Dr. Helen Marshall, a senior lecturer of creative writing at the University of Queensland and multiple award-winning author for her two collections of short stories. Helen's debut novel, The Migration, was recognised as one of The Guardian's top science fiction books of the year in 2019. Yeah, I often find that uh, beginning the process of writing is a little bit like trying to get into a cold pool, but not like a cold pool on a hot day, like a cold pool on a cold day. Our second panellist is UQ Bachelor of Law and Arts alumnus and best-selling historical fiction author Joy Rhodes. Now based in London, Joy's first novel, The Wool Grower's Companion, was an Australian bestseller in 2017 and is followed by her latest book, The Burnt Country. Joy teaches creative writing for London libraries and has a podcast, Start Write, on writing craft for beginners. You may never hit the top of the New York Times bestseller list, but you will be a happier, more grounded, more fulfilled person if you pursue your art more regularly. Our final panellist is award-winning journalist, writer and UQ alumnus, Shannon Malloy. Shannon is currently a senior reporter at news.com.au and has recently released his debut book and memoir, 14, to critical acclaim. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm liking, even if that's brief at the end of the day, just sort of going wherever my mind takes me. Um, you know, perhaps it's going to crazy places because the world is a bit crazy, who knows. In this podcast, our panel discussed the complexity of writing and creative processes during times of uncertainty and disruption. Each of the authors speak about the challenges they have faced during their recent writing efforts and share with us their advice for overcoming and navigating these challenges. I really enjoyed listening to their insights and I hope you do too. Here's Dr. Helen Marshall. maybe we would start uh, with some questions about process because I found that one of the things that the coronavirus has introduced is real challenges in terms of the way we go about our daily lives um, and challenges that have changed even over the course of these months. So I wondered if you could start by talking a little bit about when you write and how you write. Uh, Joy, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, thank you, Helen. I do think regularity to writing is really good, really. And I teach writing at, at London libraries and I say to students, try to build it into your day. And for me, that means before work. One of the wonderful unintended consequences of COVID is that I'm at home. I don't have that commute. And so it's suddenly I have an hour that I would have spent on the tube, which is free. So that's when I try to write. It's quiet and I'm fresh. I find that's the best time to write. And what about you, Shannon? Do you have a regular schedule? Uh, well, I, I write every day in, as part of my day job uh, and, and just sort of from a creative perspective um, in a journalistic sense, lacking that office banter and the ability to have conversations about different ideas and, and changing you know, the, the focus of stories and responding to really quickly moving uh, events was was such a loss and, and I really struggled personally with not having that connection with people. Um, from a personal perspective, I found that, that I didn't really have the energy for it. 
So I wasn't really writing a great deal, um, but I found that that has changed in the past couple of weeks as restrictions here have eased. As I've returned to the office, as you can see behind me, um, I, I find that there's a bit more bandwidth in my own sort of, you know, a slightly less congested frame of mind to be able to start writing again. And for me, the time I love to do that is in the sort of 45 minutes before I go to sleep. I jump into bed, uh, get warm at the moment with the cat and, uh, and sort of just jot down thoughts about the day, things that have been on my mind, good or bad, ideas that I've got. Even if I'm not sort of feeling particularly inspired, I like to do a bit of a to-do list for the next day just so that I'm, I'm in that habit of writing something, anything, uh, and I find that that's sort of, it's a nice way to end the day as well. Yeah, I think I admire both of your uh, structures. I tend to be a bit more of a free form writer in that I can go for stretches of about three weeks, I think, when I have a rigid schedule and I manage to write all the time. And then um, something will end up kind of disrupting it and throwing me out of it for a little bit. I think I found the first six weeks of lockdown much easier in some ways as an introvert. Uh, where I suddenly found having a lot of the distractions cut away and there was this sort of beautiful time where I felt really, really focused and able to connect to people. Um, but then I found the sort of after six weeks, I think I just hit kind of a point of burnout and maybe lack of inspiration or, or lack of kind of a changing environment. Uh, so have, have you guys noticed changes in your reading habits at all, I wonder? Well, certainly I initially, I, I found I couldn't read, I, you know, <laughs> It took me about a month to sort of readjust and reset and recognize that this is something else. It's terrible and big, but it's, you know, everything will be okay. This too will pass. Uh, so I didn't read really for that month. And then wonderfully, I have a book club and, um, you know, I belong to a book club and um, they continue to meet on Zoom. And we were reading Madame Bovary, which I have to say, I didn't finish, but um, the idea that you you have to read and even the, the discipline of thinking, why don't I like this? You know, that's what I say to my writing students. What is it about a book that's not working for you and why? how would you avoid that in your own work? And I think maybe it's a whole variety of different reasons we won't get into Madame Bovary. But um, so I wasn't reading for a while. I, I am slowly coming back into it. I do think um, I'm drawn more to books like Shannon's in the sense that you want something uplifting. You want um, a story which envelops you, which transports you, but which comforts you. And that, I think that's from what I can gather, that's very much reflected in, in book sales. People are, they're not looking right now for dystopian novels, not right now. I'm sure that will come, but uh, not at the moment. I agree. And, and I was very similar in that, uh, you know, I didn't have much mental capacity to do, you know, much more than watch a really trashy Netflix series and have a wine and, and go to sleep. And so I didn't read much uh, for a long time. And then uh, I started reading uh, Julia Baird's book, Phosphorescence. It's just this most, the most beautiful book about how to sort of look for, you know, the inner happiness when it seems impossible and, uh, you know, stories of joy and strength um, and I'm only about halfway through, uh, but it was just, it was like a godsend. It was the perfect book for me to be able to, to get into. Um, and yeah, I agree. 
it's the sort of book that people are looking for right now. It's a, it's not, it, it's sort of substantial escapism, I suppose. There's, you know, there's a payoff there, but it's not, it's not going to haunt your dreams after you <laughs> put it down for the night and go to sleep. Um, so one of the things that I found kind of grounded me and kind of opened up a space for creativity was a uh, connection to friends and family, which was kind of radically reshaped. I mean, in some ways, uh, some very positive ways, because having just moved over to Australia, while well, I suddenly realized I might not be able to see my family for potentially years, um, everybody was suddenly moved into a position of needing to learn how to use Skype and Zoom. And so I got a lot more regular contact with them. Um, but what did you guys do for a sense of connection or maybe to get some of that, to get some of that creative energy, Shannon, that you were talking about that you found that you were missing from the newsroom? Um, so in a sort of professional setting, we, um, to try and keep sort of morale up in the newsroom, we had regular sort of video calls where we'd all jump on and, and have a beer together, you know, in our own living rooms for 15 minutes or something. And, and, you know, talk nonsense or play a quick quiz. Um, but personally, I found that I went back to what I loved to do the most when I was sort of 12 and 13. And that was, you know, sit on the couch and have an hour long conversation on the phone with, with an old friend. It was beautiful that, you know, this, this thing that kept us apart also for me anyway, gave me time that I would never ordinarily have to, to reconnect. So I really liked that element of it. And I wrote a couple of letters as well, which again is something that I haven't done in Yonks, but I love to do. I sort of sat down in the sun in my courtyard uh, and write a letter to someone that, that I missed. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a mummy's boy, but it was my mum. So, <laughs> so I wrote my mum a letter. So I, I, I very much the same. If there is anything wonderful to come out of COVID is a real... A sort of a clarification for me about the importance of friendships. So that um, that desire to reach out to friends and to talk to them and to catch up with them has been it's just been <clears throat> excuse me fantastic. Um, and you know, I teach my classes for the library and I usually do them in person. And so we have a finite number of people we can get into library rooms. But with COVID, the library said to me, "Please, can you do them on Zoom?" And I said, "Yes, absolutely. Happy to do that." Thinking. Can we do that? And it, it's worked really very well. And what I'm finding is that rather than the catchment areas of the London libraries, which is usually the, you know, my sort of stamping ground, it's wide open. So we have the, I taught a session on Monday night and we had people from Poland on, people from New York. And I think it's a desire to connect. You know, there is that strong urge, both not just with family and friends, but also from a creative perspective. And that's been enormously helpful for me because I am a huge proponent of creative writing for mental health. You know, that you you may never hit the top of the New York Times bestseller list, but you will be a happier, more grounded, more fulfilled person if you pursue your art more regularly. So from my perspective, the um, the wonderful thing about sort of teaching the classes is that that connection clearly that thirst for some sort of creative community so it's been it's been wonderful it's helped my concentration because it's meant that I'm very aware that there are so many people with a desire to create and it is as, as you said when we began Helen our voices you know if everyone is able to give 
force to what they want to say, then we communicate better. You know, it sounds very trite, but I think it's, it puts us in a better place, both personally and as a community. Absolutely. And, you know, Shannon, you talk as well about um, writing and its connection to, to well-being in your book. Have you, do you, have you found that writing has been a useful tool for well-being during this time? Definitely. Um, again, not in a professional sense, um, but personally, even just those mundane things that I spoke about before, like, you know, the, a recap of the day, the things that I'm grateful for, what I'm planning on doing tomorrow, as well as more creative things, um, has been such a huge benefit for me. It's sort of, you know, it kind of breaks the the flow of, of the day if it's been really challenging. It, it's a nice way to reflect on the good and the bad and, and the difficult, um, and it's a nice way to set up my sort of framework for the next day. And so that's been really good, you know, more beneficial than it normally is um, during this time. And, uh, and that's something that I've always found, like you sort of alluded to, uh, you know, in my book, I talk a lot about this awful year that I experienced when I was 14 and, and writing being an escape from that for me, whether it was short stories or my early sort of foray into journalism, writing for me has always been a connection to um, daydreaming, to inspiration and to hope um, for something bigger and better. And, and for me in the past few months, that's certainly been, been the case. So I suppose maybe on that, uh, on the question of hope, uh, I think many of us observed that uh, the creative industries have had real challenges uh, over the past months. Um, and yet it also seems in some ways as if uh, the creative industries have kind of um, stood at the center of various aspects of well-being. So whether it's kind of entertainment or forms of teaching or forms of contextualizing or envisioning what the future might look like afterwards, how do you imagine the arts may be playing a role in recovery uh, after? So, I mean, I, I, I worry a great deal about the short term. Um, most writers make their living in another way. And so everybody has a day job, for want of a better word. And the most of most people work as freelancers or temps or part-time. And that is the area of work where um, people are suffering most badly in the sense that that's where the layoffs, of course, are the most significant. So I, I do worry that, you know, and, and already fiction was not diverse, uh, really. There's no way you can say it is. And so the difficulty is that there will be a short-term and a medium-term impact, it seems to me, because voices will be silenced simply because people can't get work. And I'm seeing it already with writer friends, freelancers who are having difficulty. So there is that sort of um, short-term and incredibly important um, issue. Um, but having said that, it, creativity has to help us get through this, whether it's on a micro level or a, a macro level. You know, there will be beautiful books written about this. It, I think, though, it takes time to process it. And then we shift to a kind of a new normal and then another new normal. And I think the, the books that will come out of it, and there will be books and films and, and all kinds of fabulous things, that will come, but it will take time. Um, I'm, I'm certainly finding my creativity is, is sort of manifesting itself in 
in different ways. I'd been promising students for years that I would do a podcast and I've, on creative writing and I finally did it. You know, uh, in, in, in lockdown, I've started it. I also helped a, um, a company do a podcast for the unemployed. So that sort of creativity in some ways is, is not, you know, is it, is it my third book? No, but it, I'm finding that I have a, a desire to be creative in almost in new ways and very much in in the pursuit of service. You know, I, I want to contribute and I see that everywhere. Everybody wants to help. Um, and so whatever that might be, whatever your thing is, how can you, you know, shape that in a way that it helps someone? So I worry about the creative industries in the short term. I worry about all those unemployed people. And I also see that they, they, you know, that creativity and thoughtfulness will help us through it. But how and when? It's a, it's a watch this space. I agree, and, and just by the sort of very nature of of this virus, it's it's unpredictable, and we don't know very much about it. So who can who can say what's what's coming? Um, I am I'm terrified as well for the for the creative industries. Um, the impact here in Australia has been significant and there's been next to no government assistance for those workers who are all freelancers or contractors or casuals and don't, unfortunately, don't qualify for any of the money that's that's out there. And I've seen mates of mine from, you know, television down to um, authors um, impacted by this in very real ways. Um, and so I think there's going to be a kind of creative drought for a little while once we are through this. The sort of the optimistic part of me uh, might be a little naive is, um, is sort of hoping that the resilience that I think characterises a lot of people in creative fields, I hope that that, that gets us through. You know, we're, we're kind of, I say we while I'm sitting here in my full-time job, but you know, creative people mostly are, are used to getting by on the smell of an oily rag and and hopefully that sustains us, you know, God willing, depending on what comes. And then once we're through that, hopefully the other characteristic of creative people making beautiful art out of um, trying times and adversity, hopefully we see the benefit of that as well. And Joy, I was really struck by your sense of... Um people wanting to serve. Uh, and that's definitely something that I've been observing as well. And I've strongly felt. Uh, so we're going to open the floor to questions. Uh, so do feel free to put questions into your Q&A box. Um, but while you're maybe beginning to add those questions in, um, do you guys want to maybe share a piece of advice you might have for somebody who is newly trying to write uh, during this phase or somebody who might be struggling to write during this phase? I think on the struggling to write, you know, we're all struggling to write. I tend to like a fairly stable environment um, because writing requires such energy. And so you to be to transport yourself and to reduce that to words requires real, for me, intensity and focus and concentration. So I need everything else to be largely humming along in a, in a stable fashion to be able to do that. That's not happening. Having said that, I, I do think that part of being a writer, <laughs> it sounds really obvious, 
it's just writing. And I say this to students, just write. You know, you can't afford to wait for the muse to strike you because that's not going to happen. And I remember um, being in an event in New York and a writer saying, you know, my father was a truck driver and he never had truck driver's block. And I thought, you know, that's it. That's it. We can't, we can't be precious about writing. And frankly, I would say to students, the hard work is in the editing. Get the words on paper because the, that getting down is actually easy. It's the combing and the honing and the, you know, trying to turn that into something beautiful that, that the real heavy lifting is at. So I think part of writing is staying with it and recognising that it's incredibly hard, incredibly hard on a, on a sort of micro level and incredibly hard on a macro level, hard to get an agent, hard to get a publisher, hard to find an audience. So it's all hard. You know, that's normal. Well done you if you can stay with it because that will distinguish you from others. So part of me is like that's my only advice is keep writing and take your craft seriously. I agree. Um, and it's one of the things that I did when I wrote my book, I had five months to, to do 80,000 words and I did it um, while still working. Um, so I would just schedule time in the morning and the evening and on the weekends to, to just write. Um, I sort of had my own take on the, on the famous saying, you know, write drunk, edit sober. Um, mine was <laughs> write shit and refine later. So even if it was crap, or I didn't feel inspired at all. I just sort of made myself write uh, and I didn't edit as I went along because I knew I would get stuck in my own head. I knew that I would hate what I did in the moment uh, and I waited until much later to go through it. And even if it was 80% garbage or 90% garbage, that's probably a generous estimation, um, there might have been an idea in there or the kernel of an idea that I could latch onto. Um, and so that's what I that's what I did, and it's kind of what I do, what I sort of have to do as as the truck driver of of writing, being a journalist. Um, you know, there are many days when I'm not inspired at all, um, and have to have to just make it work. And so you sort of just start, and, and quite often making a start, whether it be the start of a thirty minute writing session outside in the sun, or the twenty minutes at the end of the day, just starting is sometimes the toughest step. Yeah, I often find that uh, beginning the process of writing is a little bit like trying to get into a cold pool, but not like a cold pool on a hot day, like a cold pool on a cold day, um, where sometimes you really, you just have to jump in and then you sort of panic for a little bit, um, but it eventually starts to feel a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable. Um, and, and maybe part of writing is actually kind of learning how to be comfortable with discomfort and learning how to be comfortable with uh, with that sense that yeah, either it's it's hard and it kind of stays consistently hard. I mean, you get really good days and you get really nice moments, um, but I don't I don't know that it ever feels progressively easier. But I think that also one of the benefits of that is once you know that you realize that you're not failing or you're not feeling like you're failing because you actually are failing. It's it's because that's what the process feels like to some extent, some of the time. And so once you realize that the challenges that you have on any given day, which might be, you know, family distractions, work distractions, trying to figure out how to schedule time in your day, even for, you know, professional writers, those are still the sets of challenges that they're trying to face. So rather than thinking about them as blocks, 
um, if you think about those as those are the things that you're always going to be having to deal with, then you can start figuring out strategies to be able to tackle it. Um, why don't we turn to some of the questions uh, we've got from our audience. So uh, let's start with, uh, do you find it easier to write about fact or fiction right now? Wow, gosh, um, fiction is, you know, not quite as strange as nonfiction at the moment. Um, so I find just, you know, silly little things that I jot down um, coming to me much easier than, than covering real world events, which are just sort of, you know, seemingly unendingly bad. Uh, so I think that that element of escapism is coming to me much easier now than perhaps it ordinarily would. Um, and of course, I haven't, I haven't written a fiction book. I, I wrote a memoir, which is sort of, you know, a lazy book, perhaps. Um, but, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm liking, even if that's brief at the end of the day, just sort of going wherever my mind takes me. Um, you know, perhaps it's going to crazy places because the world is a bit crazy. Who knows? And I'm finding, you know, my full-time job is as a, a lawyer and I'm I'm so lucky to have it in the sense that it enables me to write. My job is to write uh, regulatory and compliance policy. So it involves lots of research and lots of writing. So it's just perfect. And I, you know, is it is it writing fact? Not really, but it's very, it's very focused. And there is a release about that because I'm not having to think about what's going on and what the future might look like. So it's, it's funny, I'm finding it very bizarrely nourishing. You know, if you think about it, writing policy, uh, regulatory policy, why would that be nourishing? But I think it's because it's very, it's very certain and it's based on laws, some of them which are very old, some which are very new, but it's a, it's a like, yes, this is normality, this was normality, and I'm, I'm, this is normal, I feel normal. Um, so that gives me a bizarre sense of comfort and also frees me up to be able to write fiction. What I am finding, though, is a little bit to your point, Helen, uh, when we started, which is as I write a scene, I'm thinking immediately you know if they're walking along so this my third book is set in in Richmond in southwest London and I'm thinking okay they're walking along uh the, the Thames path just near Ham House and I'm thinking well actually no because I, I can't have that many people I'm like yes you can it's 1948 it's fine so it's incredible to me how much COVID has completely penetrated the way we look at the world so from a historical fiction writer's perspective it's a it's lovely to be able to write that but i have to rethink i have to reset and recognize that that was then the fact that i'm writing the, the regulatory policy that i'm writing is is reassuring but the, there's no question that you know writing fiction is is impinged by everything that's that's going on yeah absolutely i mean i found i've got two novels on the go at the moment one that's at the one that's got a second draft together that requires revision and one that i've started sort of in between um but the the one that's at the beginning phase uh was supposed to be near future science fiction about people going to mars the idea behind it was i wanted to write something hopeful set in a, a future in which we managed to mitigate the worst effects of climate change um but of course when i started writing it there there had been no coronavirus and when you're trying to write near future uh 
you know, you suddenly have to take into account the things that are happening, particularly if they're major events. And so in some ways, I'm quite glad to have that one on hold for the moment, because I don't know how to write about the future at the moment. Uh, so in fact, my sort of fantasy world story feels a lot easier to write because I don't have to kind of come to grips with the reality in the sense of not knowing. Um, but also we don't even know how to write about the present because in some ways we don't have a really clear sense of what's happening in other places. And the, the stories of COVID-19 will really kind of come out, you know, as we've been talking about over the next 10 years, we'll have a clearer sense of what has happened. So even at the moment, it feels difficult to write the present. So I've some writer friends I've talked to have started setting their books sort of three years ago to be able to write with a sense of normality. But I wonder how we're, how we're all going to do that, sort of knowing what lies ahead for our characters right around the corner. Um, we have a question about how, how do you write something hopeful when you find that your mood is switching all the time, um, possibly between hopefulness to normality and sadness, anxiety, and frustration, possibly in the space of about 10 minutes or so. Um, and maybe we'll use this as our last question. So um, so I'm a boring plotter, right? I'm, there's the whole, are you a plotter? Are you a pantser fly by the seat of your pants? Or are you a plantser, a bit of both? And I'm probably a plantser. But the beauty of plotting for me is that you see your narrative arc. You know where you're going. Frankly, in my experience, you never go where you think you know where you're going, but at least you have a map and you feel better about it. So I find that discipline means that I, I can write towards a hopeful conclusion. Everything I write, whether it's short stories or, or um, both my books and the book I'm working on, has very much a redemptive element, an element of, I hope, you know, sort of road markers to change uh, as well as the the development of the character. So for me, I think plotting, boring, 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 old plotting because it's so unfashionable, um, really provides a means by which I can reach for hopefulness even though I am genuinely worried about the short term and the medium term. One of the things that I, I did a lot with my book was to look at it in, in different ways. I'm, I'm probably not going to explain this very well, but in a simple sense, um, you know, this book is about one of the worst years of my life, if not the worst year. And when I started writing it, I didn't think that there were any positive or happy elements in that year. I thought it was just all terrible. Uh, and that's why I wanted to write a book about it. You know, it was kind of a compelling story. And of course, the, the very quick feedback from my publisher as they sort of started seeing sample chapters was, you know, this is depressing. People are going to are gonna go mad. Uh, so look for happy things. And so I started doing um, kind of like looking at individual horrific events and, and as a starting point, trying to figure out what I'd learnt from that, either in the weeks that followed, in the months that followed, in the, in the year that followed, or now in the 20 years that have passed. What have I learnt from that? Was there any silver lining in it? And that sort of helped me start to build up, you know, the, this foundation of, of hope. And then I just did really situational things like um, listen to music from that period of time exclusively for, for five or six months and nothing else. And that sort of took me back to 
you know, the, the funny dance that I made up with a friend at that period of time. And then I started to think about our friendship together. And, and then I started to think about, you know, the time that she reassured me that life was never going to be like this forever. And so that sort of started this breadcrumb exercise, if you like, of, you know, seeing a, a little tiny glimmer of something and then, and then scraping towards it until it revealed more of itself. And also, I, I think just I would say very quickly that, you know, you don't, you don't have to write something hopeful. You could write about what's happening to you right now or, or be inspired to write a sort of fictional story about what's happening now. It doesn't necessarily have to be immediately hopeful or be the thing that gives the world hope that we're all going to be okay. Um, you know, sometimes relatable stories that strike a chord and that create change that you know resonate with people are difficult stories um, and maybe in the process of telling that you'll find uh, some element of optimism to weave in there or not sometimes sad stories are, are great too don't overthink it too much um, and just take the inspiration wherever it comes I found myself in both in what I was reading and in terms of what I was writing, just uh, feeling a real interest in joy and trying to find what the joy was in the book. So at any given scene, what was the thing that a reader might feel joyful about or what might I feel joyful about writing? I do think that one of the things that has come out of this um, at times, or at least for me, is kind of a real sense of compassion and I think that there's something that can be said about treating our characters kindly, which doesn't necessarily mean not putting them through the ringer in a story, uh, because we should do that from time to time. <laughs> but it, it can mean, you know, really trying to understand what their viewpoint is, um, not writing off our characters, which is something that I found I did in my first draft. Um, I, I was a little bit heartless to my characters. And now I feel like what I have is a sort of immense heart for my characters. We hope you enjoyed listening to the experiences and advice of our writing experts, Dr. Helen Marshall, Joy Rhodes and Shannon Malloy. If you would like to hear more from UQ experts, then check out our range of webinars and podcasts on the UQ alumni website or follow UQ alumni on social media. My name is Lucy Blair. Thank you for listening.